The World Bank estimates that the 19 economies that make up Latin America will average 3.5% growth in the coming year. That's 1% above the global average. New Zealand's government has had a limited focus on the region over recent years. Its sights have been turned east towards the booming Asian economies. But the Prime Minister John Key says Latin America will become a very important market as it grows in prominence and power. If we'd gone to China 20 years ago, maybe we would have felt the same, that you know, it's, it's not always straightforward doing business, not easy, the opportunities aren't as quite as clearly laid out always. But today we look at China and we see this massive opportunity and a huge counterpart from New Zealand's perspective. And if we just concentrate on one market like China and not on other markets, then the risk is that New Zealand has massive concentration risk and then if there's a problem in that market, then all of a sudden we're terribly exposed. I'm Chris Bramwell and this insight looks at the opportunities for New Zealand and Latin America but also the difficulties for businesses wanting to break into the market. The Zacalo at the heart of Mexico City is humming with people on a Monday afternoon. The city is one of the most important financial centres in Latin America and Mexico's seat of government. Señoras y señores, escuchemos el mensaje del presidente de los Estados Unidos Mexicanos, licenciado Enrique Peña Nieto. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United Mexican States, Enrique Peña Nieto, will now address us. The newly elected president, Enrique Peña Nieto, is instituting a series of reforms which he says will make Mexico more competitive in the global economy. The country's economy is already the 13th largest in the world. Its GDP in 2012, $1.4 billion. John Key says Mexico and New Zealand have had a long-standing relationship, but there is potential for more. They've got a very young population, so a young consumer base, and there are real opportunities for us to work together on a number of fronts. Agriculture is obviously one, but it's much more significant than that. We have a small number of Mexican students studying in New Zealand at the moment, about 200, but that number could rise dramatically over time. Tourism's a real opportunity as well. So, you know, this is sort of part of, I think, laying a foundation stone for future opportunities for New Zealand companies and for New Zealand in general. Most of Mexico's trade has been with the United States, but Mr Peña Nieto wants to broaden ties with the Pacific, and he sees New Zealand as a reliable partner in the region. Mexico is part of Trans-Pacific Partnership Negotiations, the TPP, which, if successful, will create a Pacific Rim-free trade agreement and help New Zealand break down more barriers to the Latin American market. A senior advisor in international relations at the University of Auckland, Matthew Omar, says the economic growth in Latin America is being driven by increasing investor confidence in the region. There's political stability and economic stability, and those two factors unleash the ability to extract the region's economic growth. So why have these countries become more stable? What's changed there? Well, let me clarify that probably not all of them have become more stable. There's effectively two blocks in Latin America, but the, the block that is perceived as stable, it's just institutionalised democracy. It's been institutionalised now for about a generation. It didn't used to be seen as a stable region, of course, but most countries committed to tackling inflation in the 90s and they succeeded took some time, but they did succeed. Brazil went from being an economic basket case, effectively, with 1,000% plus inflation per annum, to being the brick, the potential superpower. 
Matthew Omar says New Zealand has seen potential in Latin America for decades, but it's always been in the margins, a kind of reserve option. First, the focus was Europe, and more recently, of course, it's Asia. And I'm not saying that Latin America will be or could be as important to New New Zealand as Asia. It simply cannot. But there is massive opportunity there, especially, in some ways, an investment, because our economies with the countries that we're most interested in are complementary. So they could be competitors. So what do you do with competitors, potential competitors? Do you compete or do you partner? And I think that there's some desire to partner. Much of the existing business that New Zealand companies have in the region is based on partnerships or joint ventures. The dairy cooperative Fonterra and its predecessors have been working in Latin America for more than 35 years. The market is worth about 3.2 billion New Zealand dollars to Fonterra. That ranges from basic commodities through to more sophisticated branded consumer goods through its joint venture Dairy Partners Americas and its company Soprole in Chile. Fonterra's general manager of Latin America, Alex Turnbull, says working in the region is all about managing risk and treating the whole area as one portfolio. Basically in Latin America you can assume that every five years one country will have some sort of political or economic challenges uh, and it's making sure that as you look forward you know, in our business and our strategic plan we don't have all the proverbial eggs in one basket. And you've really got to have a team on the ground in the market because you're not only looking at longer-term macroeconomic signals as to investment, but month by month, week by week, you have to make decisions around cash flow, around inventory, uh, exchange rate positions, because as we say in Latin America, if you miss a day, you miss the week. If you miss the week, you miss the quarter. And if you miss the quarter, you miss the year. But Alex Turnbull says compared to other markets, there are advantages to being in Latin America. It's a lot easier to learn Spanish and Portuguese than, say, Mandarin or um, Cantonese. So in that regard, I think it's easier. I think we have it. There's some sort of New Zealanders and the whole Pacific. We get on really well with Latin America. There's some sort of click there, whether it's, I don't know quite what it is. Maybe it is, yeah, but there's just a nice, you know, people get on well from a life. So it's, I think it's easier to form relationships faster here, which is actually a big advantage. What would be the biggest challenges, perhaps, just in the Latin American market? Um, you know, some of the countries are extremely bureaucratic and very challenging. You know, the tax codes, getting things done can be immensely frustrating. And, you know, probably just because of the historical time things take to do, um, I think in the Asian cultures, you know, once they decide to do something, it's a lot more binary and it happens. In Latin America, you can have closed the deal, shaken hands, done the dinner, you know, the contracts are done and it can take a while. So you've got to be patient but also find ways to keep it moving forward. And as well, you know, when you're trying to work at trying to New Zealand speed and you can suddenly lose half a day for the, you know, the guy that has to stamp the documents is not in his office and you sit there for five hours and learn to just do yoga or enjoy what you're watching because you can spend you can lose half a day over the most smallest thing and could send a normal person insane but you just have to learn to have a bit of latin flow and eventually it happens a continuación ahora uso la palabra el primer ministro de Nueva Zelanda excelentísimo señor John Key Last month, John Key travelled to Latin America with a business delegation to help open some doors particularly in Colombia and Brazil
John Key was the first New Zealand Prime Minister to visit Colombia, a country which has emerged from years of civil war and whose economy grew 5% last year alone. The President of Colombia, Juan Manuel Santos, told New Zealand media after his meeting with Mr Key that his country is starting to open its doors to the world. We have free trade agreements with many countries. We hope that by the end of my term, around 1 billion 500 million consumers will have free access to Colombian goods. And there's reciprocity there. We have free trade agreement with the United States. We have free trade agreement with Europe. It only needs uh, to be approved in the Senate here in order to come into, into action. We have free trade agreements with almost all the countries in Latin America. We have now a free trade agreement with Korea. We're starting with Japan. And we would love to have a free trade agreement with New Zealand. When uh, New Zealand is ready to start negotiations, uh, we would very much like to have that. New Zealand's Primary Industries Minister Nathan Guy says he was thrilled with Mr Santos's comments. For President Santos to stand up and say I'd love to have a free trade agreement with New Zealand, I just almost wanted to bloody air fist the, you know, just say that's fantastic because our officials have been working over there for sort of a couple of years now and getting slow incremental gains. But for him, the leader of their country, to come out in such a public way and say hey, we want to really get this thing to work with New Zealand. I think there's huge opportunities in Colombia. Much of the focus on Latin America is about marketing New Zealand's agribusiness potential, but not just by selling commodities, as Nathan Guy explains. And the opportunities for us is not so much about more product into these markets in terms of dairy and what have you. It's actually doing joint ventures. It's actually doing partnerships. It's not so much about competition, it's more collaboration. Mr Santos was asked whether he thought there would be resistance to that from Colombian farmers, but he says it's more likely to be the opposite reaction. There's a tremendous interest from our local farmers for us to have better concrete relations with New Zealand because you will be a tremendous help for us in order to increase and improve our efficiency and our productivity. So if you look at from... From that perspective, our farmers and our local producers will welcome the presence of New Zealand in our country. And I am the first one to say welcome because we need that. We are not very efficient producer of milk or dairy products, but with the help and technology of New Zealand, we can become an efficient producer, which will open up a tremendous potential for this uh, sector of the economy to be uh, a growing sector in the future. Auckland University's Matthew Omar says Colombia is only just unleashing the potential that has always been there. It's an incredibly fertile and productive country which has been bogged down by the terrible decades-long civil war. They're beginning to get on top of that war and that is largely the reason. Therefore, people feel safe, which simply wouldn't have been the case 15 years ago. And it's once that basic element of personal security and and political security is in place, then you can talk about tapping into the wealth. Do you think there's still an issue there with the drug trade, though? That's obviously been a big problem for the country. Uh, yes, but it is far, far less of an issue than it was. While Colombia is just opening its doors, further south, Chile is one of New Zealand's oldest and closest friends in Latin America. Matthew Omar says Chile is the model for other countries in the region. Because under the, the military regime they became as 
open in their economy as we did. Sort of the New Zealand and Chile almost vowed for ideological purity in the free trade area. And they've sustained it ever since. In the return to democracy, whether you're centre-left or centre-right, there's broad consensus around that free trade has delivered benefits for Chile, which is completely lacking, for example, across the Andes and Argentina, where there's total suspicion of free trade because it's unleashed, so many people say it's just been another reason for opening for corruption in their country. So, you know, there are very different views in Latin America on free trade. The Fonterra-owned Sapole is the largest dairy company in Chile and supplies about a fifth of the country's milk. In the Porto Mont region of southern Chile, Sapole runs a demonstration farm to show off New Zealand's agricultural techniques. But Fonterra's Alex Turnbull says it's not just a matter of taking all the elements of a New Zealand dairy farm and plonking them into Chile. That, he says, would be a recipe for disaster. We take the best of New Zealand technology. We work with local Chilenos in their language, on the ground, so management doesn't sit 10,000 miles away or even in the next big city. But management are living in maybe a small town, learning the language, understanding the, the subtle differences between the two systems, and it's about getting the best out of both. And if you look at, you know, New Zealand farmers who have gone over there and been very successful, they are the ones that have really embraced the local culture, understood the differences, because, you know, New Zealand farming systems, they can't be put anywhere and just turned on because, you know, they're just... The, the climates are just different, but we found it a very effective way to help promote a sustainable, high-quality milk model. And certainly, if you look at the investment that's gone into Chile from companies like New Zealand companies, big farming investment companies, you know, we were probably again somewhat the pioneers, and it's it's had a huge impact on lifting milk volumes and milk quality. Entertaining the New Zealanders at a function, the demonstration farm manager Albert Cusson explains the difference between a traditional Chilean farm and the Saprole farm. Compared to a, a normal or a traditional Chilean farm, the species of the grass of a typical Chilean farm are, have quite a smaller growth potential as compared to the kiwi varieties of uh, perennial ryegrass and, and white clover. And then the cows in Chile, most of the traditional farm would have what is called double purpose. It means beef and milk, but in fact, for me, a double purpose is no purpose at all. So uh, that's why there are cows with much lower production per cow. Then this farm, like, like many others, have been using the New Zealand genetics and going, as you see, the heifer group over there to Kiwi Cross, which is Holstein and Jersey, and producing a much more efficient cow for converting grass to milk. It's a strange feeling to have travelled to another country and yet be standing on New Zealand grass looking at New Zealand cows in a setting that could be a quiet corner of the Waikato. Murray Willocks is responsible for the New Zealand grass that I'm standing on here in the middle of Chile. He's the chief executive of AgriSeeds, which has been working in the region for more than 20 years. New Zealand grasses fit the Chilean system very well. Um, we've been, as AgriSeeds, we've been over here uh, helping dairy farmers uh, develop the dairy industry here and, um, and a key part of that has been bringing New Zealand technology and in this case uh, New Zealand ryegrasses and clovers.
John Key says there's still a lot more potential in the Chilean dairy sector. So what's possible here is to use New Zealand farming techniques, obviously Chilean land or land across Latin America in general, uh, produce a product that's at the same standard, the same level of yield that's coming off a New Zealand farm and then obviously feed that into the global supply chain. And uh, you can work out pretty quickly that uh, if New Zealand's producing 17 billion litres of milk a year, we're already producing 5 billion offshore, that number could grow dramatically. It's not only the dairy sector that holds promise for New Zealand companies in Chile. The state-owned energy company Mighty River Power is investigating geothermal resources at two sites in the country. Its general manager of development, Mark Trigg, says there's no geothermal power production in Chile at the moment, but there is significant potential. But it is largely unexplored and unknown. There are several countries who, uh, several companies who are undertaking uh, the type of exploratory activity that we are uh, at the moment. Mark Trigg says geothermal energy requires a lot of capital to be spent up front, but the cost is about the same as it would be to do similar exploration in New Zealand. He says decisions will be made about one of the fields sometime this year. We've spent a reasonable amount of money in both the US and here in Chile. Uh, we've had good capital returns out of the project already in the US which is up and operational, uh, and we've made a decision to, to impair some of the costs associated with how much it has taken to get to this uh, point in time uh, here in Chile. So at what point would you turn around and say it's too much? There's always a time element in terms of working out when this is commercially viable, so you may look at the opportunity today and say we don't think it's commercially viable, but in another year or two that could change and that would be highly dependent on power prices, what sort of uh, contracts you can get for the output of the plant. So it's not just resources, it's not just the resource and the cost of developing the resource. The revenue side of the equation is obviously equally as important. And how is that here at the moment? Fundamentally it's quite strong. The prices are quite strong. They've had three to four years of drought so you've got elevated spot prices, some challenges with having uh, major projects consented and quite a push towards renewables. So all of those fundamentally are very supportive of geothermal development. The company Silver Fern Farms was also represented in the delegation. Its business development manager, Glenn Terrell, says the company struggles to get meat into Latin America. He says at the moment the value of the market is only $20 million, which is primarily into Mexico. It's all ahead of us really. We don't currently have access into Colombia or Chile, but we see a lot of potential. We met some really good people, potential customers, operating at the right sector of the market that are very keen to bring New Zealand lamb and venison into those markets. And so for us it's really just a question now of working with MPI and, and hoping that the, the high-level cooperation that was very evident between the Prime Minister and the heads of those countries will translate through to some access agreements for us, hopefully in the next year. Why can't you get any product into Chile? Because we do have a free trade agreement with them. Is there a big tariff on that? It just the meat side wasn't completed or covered off within that agreement, so it's kind of all but at the moment. In terms of consumer demand, it seems that there's a lot of beef eaten in these countries. Is there much of a palate for lamb? There definitely is, but lamb has been rather small, and I think they're, they're 
general you'll find consumption on lamb is less than a kilo, beef is over 40 kilos in these countries, so there's a big gap, and lamb's been, uh, the availability's been quite limited in some cases, so as they're moving up in terms of the increase in middle class consumers, people are going out more into the restaurants, and we just see a really good opportunity, and, and the people we spoke to see a great opportunity at the high value end, so French racks, those sorts of products, so we're not looking to bring a whole lot of commodity and product into these markets, we want to find the right people we can work with, get the right products and then position New Zealand and our brand in those markets. Glenn Terrell says at this stage the company would be focused on bringing in lamb and venison, but down the road it would also be keen to introduce New Zealand beef. It's a different quality, it's a different flavour profile, and we think it's, it would stand up very well against the local production, and even just as a, as a niche product and a product that comes with a, with a different story and uh, you know, the really strong grass-fed natural production story we've got in New Zealand, so uh, we would we'd certainly be pushing on that. But that's a longer-term game for us. You would come up against resistance too, wouldn't you, in that market from local producers? We may do, and there may be some, some barriers there, but I think, again... We're working we're looking to work with people who are looking for specialty products and in a niche area of the market and, and once again, you know, we have we have markets for our products, but it's about continuing to evolve and develop those. And so if we can you know we can reposition product in a different sector in, in certain markets, it's all for the long term. The powerhouse of South America is Brazil, the fifth largest country in the world with a population of more than 193 million. Auckland University's Matthew Omar says because Brazil's domestic market is so large, it tends to look inward. To a degree, Brazil may never be fully outward-looking. That said, it is a major global trader, and so it is a strange combination, I guess, of protectionist and yet a very vigorous exporter. Brazil may never be as outward-looking. What would have to change there would be the population would have to support a government that was oriented to that. But it's not necessarily in the population's interest at the moment because they're very well served by a government which has this blend between social programs at home and, and making huge differences in people's lives and, and a freer economy. Brazil has benefited superbly many millions of people by not being as free as the classic arguments would, would wish. A New Zealand company, ISL Animal Health, which specialises in drench guns, says there's a lot of interest in its products in Brazil, but its general manager, Tim Beer, says there are many challenges to doing business there. Getting an understanding of obviously the various states, um, tariffs are a really big burden for us. So I mean, the taxes are very uh, uh, quite, yeah, quite difficult for us to get real buy-in from our customers, which is a real shame because they see the technology and they want it. But yeah, it'd be certainly nice to try and break those barriers down. He says ISL uses a local person in the countries it operates in, which he says eases the path for trade. So we try and find somebody on the ground that understands the market, uh, understands our customers, um, and just as importantly, understands the end user as well. So once there's a flow through that person, would you then actually take over that kind of thing yourself to cut down on the costs? Um, at this stage, no. No, we've, um, we've actually found having the support on the ground, having somebody that obviously understands the culture, um, speaks the language, um, you know, time differences as well. So while we're sleeping, hopefully they're producing orders. 
<laughs> and vice versa. So no, look at this stage, um, now we've been quite satisfied in, in using the agent model and we found some good people. The Primary Industries Minister Nathan Guy acknowledges Brazil is a tough place for New Zealanders to do business, but he says there are many opportunities there. Their taxation, their tariffs make it tough. There are some New Zealand dairy farmers who have established up there in the market and what they tell me is they're able to grow three times the grass per hectare per year than what, they, what we can do on an average dairy farm in New Zealand. That's with good New Zealand genetics, that's with irrigation in some times of the year and that's with good Kiwi know-how and management. So the opportunities to help the Brazilian farmers, the Colombian farmers and also Mexican farmers uh, with our Kiwi know-how and our knowledge and our innovation is huge. Marcisa is a wood products company based in Chile but operating throughout Latin America and the United States. Its chief executive, Roberto Salas, says he understands why some countries may want to be a bit protectionist, but he thinks the barriers will come down over time. We can see in some countries, mainly for the local economic problems, that they are more in the trend of to stop globalisation, stop the, and to create more barriers to the to exchange products. Now, we can understand that that is just for the short term, but in the medium term or long term, I think that that will change. And the trends of open market, open opportunities, there will be the, the winner way to, to develop. The chief executive of Trade and Enterprise New Zealand, Peter Crisp, says trade delegations are incredibly useful for deepening trade ties and making new contacts. We had 134 meetings with distributors, agents, leaders of companies and so forth. And out of that, uh, we've got 49 quite specific and tangible leads that we're working through now. What do you mean by leads? I mean, do you know for sure that there will be deals done out of them? No, you can't use the word for sure. But we basically break the world up into introductions, leads and deals in that order. So an introduction is say hello. A lead is a promising line of inquiry. A deal is sign but a paper. So this is more, we've got a couple of deals, but this is more in the lead area, and that's uh, my expectations have been exceeded. This is actually be more tangible than what I thought we'd get on this mission. I felt this mission was more exploratory, but people have been quite keen to do business. The companies have presented themselves very well. So, yes, some quite tangible leads coming out of it. Peter Crisp says exporters can work behind the scenes to get their product into new markets, but going on an official trip with the Prime Minister makes a world of difference. It's just weight, gravitas, and it's the imprimatur of government, so you can, if you can go in with force and go in with presence, and particularly having the Prime Minister and the Minister of Primary Industries with us, that just does open those doors and lays down a whole platform, so we'd never get this much, this quickly, this tangibly, from just individual companies going to market. Unless, of course, you're a Fonterra or something like that where you've, in your own right, you've got size and scale and mass. But there's not many companies around in New Zealand of that scale. Nathan Guy says it's the government's job to open doors for business in terms of trade deals, but it's also important to keep meeting the leaders and ministers in Latin America as what he calls FaceTime goes a long way. So we just keep the open channels keep working on the dialogue. So what we can do is facilitate through the TPP to hope that that lands at the right place at the end of the year. That will be a, a significant move for Mexico, Colombia. It looks like we can do separate to TPP, a free trade agreement there. That will be a significant win for us and for them as well. 
and uh, Brazil's going to take a bit longer. I'm Chris Bramwell, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Gail Woods with technical production by Jeremy Veal.